culture is huge is hugely important in my family both of my parents are native and so always having a relationship to that was um a big factor in like my life and how i grew up and so my work is this continuum of pushing that traditional knowledge and sharing history while at the same time kind of living in a different new world that includes like social media and branding and like pop culture hey This is Epicenter NYC. We connect our communities to news, information, and each other. I'm your host, Curtis Rouser. 90 minutes from New York City and Richfield, Connecticut, Raven Half Moon's massive sculptures dominate the Aldridge Contemporary Art Museum. On display until January 2024, it's well worth the trip. Half Moon's process includes more than thousands of pounds of clay into towering sculptures. She draws inspiration from diverse indigenous pottery, moai, and statues, as well as graffiti and fashion designers. And as a descendant of the Caddo people, Half Moon's exhibition gives visitors opportunities to learn more about the native tribes who lived along the Red River in Louisiana, Texas, Arkansas, and Oklahoma. Today, a conversation between epicenters Esmitra Kalita and Raven Half Moon about her process, identity, the exhibition, and what's next. You know, I was at the Aldrich Museum last weekend. I was so struck by your work. Can you tell me a little bit about how that exhibit came about? Why don't we just start there and then we could dive into some other aspects of your work I wanted to talk to you about. Yeah, so I've known Rachel and Amy for a few years now. Amy's the curator for the Aldridge, and then Rachel is the curator for the Bemis, and this is a joint traveling show. So after at least the Aldridge, it will travel to Omaha, Nebraska, and show at the Bemis for about six or seven months. And yeah, we just kind of started, you know, talking on social media, and they came out and visited my studio and saw my work in person, and then we just kind of started a conversation of building out a really large solo show. And I was really struck by the inclusion of the video because I feel like it did two things. One, it explained your process. It shows you literally how you're molding clay. So I just wondered if you could talk a little bit about how you came upon sculpture. Yeah. So i I've always wanted to be an artist out of the womb. I feel like I have, ever since I can remember, I've been drawing, painting. I always had like markers or colored pencils in my hands. I have notebooks and notebooks that my mom has still saved of all the work that I did when I was little. But um, so I have always been super creative and artistic. And that started with markers and Crayola. And then when I got older, it turned into graphite and using charcoal and oil pastels. And then I started getting into like acrylic painting. And when I was about 13 years old, I had my first uh, hand in play with an elder in my tribe named Jerry. Redcorn, and she actually revitalized traditional Caddo pottery. And so it was with her that I first um, ever touched clay when I was 13, and we made traditional Caddo pots that were then pit-fired. And it was from there that I went to school at the University of Arkansas, and that's where I took um, my first clay class, kind of like more contemporary clay class, like wheel throwing, hand building, um, slip casting, 
when I was a sophomore in college. Mm. And so I was painting and at the same time doing play um, when I was in school. And just from there, that's where the sculpture kind of blossomed. I feel like I combine painting and sculpture on my surfaces and how I build their to me, large-scale paintings or like painting in 3D. I was also super influenced in my cultural anthropology courses because I also have a I have a double degree in cultural anthropology and art. And I was always studying like the large-scale earthworks that were here in America. Also, Caddo's were ancestors of mound builders. And so this idea of like community and building large was always like a huge factor that inspired me and something that I wanted to do. And so I think naturally the things we're drawn to, I was like, I want to build that. Mm. And so that's where the work keeps getting larger and bigger. And then this show was kind of like, especially flag bearer, the piece was kind of like the flagship of the show of, you know, the largest I've built, the most people who have been involved. It took a year and a half to see that piece. Um, finished. And yeah, it was definitely, it was definitely a journey. And you talk a lot about the collective nature of your art, at least in the video that I saw. It wasn't just the people around you who might be working with you to produce it, but I believe you talked specifically about generations. So I, I wondered if you could talk about that a little bit. What do you mean by, you know, the generations and obviously your identity and ancestry uh, play such a big role in your work? It's really born out of kind of living in two worlds, as I like to say. It's my family always taught me that it's important to be involved in community. Culture is huge is hugely important in my family. Both of my parents are native. And so always having a relationship to that was um a big factor in like my life and how I grew up. And so my work is this continuum of pushing that traditional knowledge and sharing history while at the same time kind of living in a different new world that includes like social media and branding and like pop culture. And so the work is really at this crossroads of sharing that traditional knowledge and history and then being kind of relevant to a fast paced like materialistic world that we're now in. So that's why sometimes you see like really iconic, like I've painted like Chanel logos on my pieces before or Louis Vuitton or some of my figures will have like Ray-Ban glasses on. But then I still think about like where they're coming from. And I think to me that generationally, I'm talking about like my grandmother, my mother, and their personal experiences and what ha has been passed down to me through their stories, my personal experiences as a Native woman living in the 21st century and what that looks like today. And then also, I talk about the generations behind me, all my ancestors and the history that I'm reading about and pushing that forward. In Native community, it's called the seventh generation, eighth generation. We're always thinking about future. And so I always talk about my work as always looking back, but then pushing forward. And, you know, Native people have always been very adaptive. Things change, uh, work changes, and I think I'm kind of uh, an attestment to that. I think people kind of have this, you know, maybe romanticized idea of what being Native is, maybe what Native art is, and I'm really challenging that, mm -hmm. I feel like, and kind of flipping that on its head. I love that aspect of it. By virtue of having the Native News as one of our partners in the URL Media Network, which Epicenter, of course, is also a member of, it's really opened my eyes to this like 
desire for indigenous work right now, but the reality yeah. of a community that's been inarguably like upon whose backs we all have benefited enormously, right? And so I wonder how you reconcile that history with the demands in the art world suddenly for indigenous artists. Yeah, no, I was just having this conversation with, I'm in a workshop with Chinupa as well. I don't know if you're familiar with his work, but um, he's also a native artist. And these are conversations that we have like with each other and what we're seeing in the art world. And I think there's definitely a movement happening. I think people are, you know, wanting to hear a different narrative and so kind of are craving that story. Um, there's definitely other artists that are gaining popularity, but I think it's a good thing. I think, I think it's a time now where we have a moment. This moment isn't going to last forever. And so I'm all for the push for it because if people want to hear it, I'm all for like, let's share it then. Let's be real. Let's get that information out there because, you know, with how fast everything moves, I, I mean, probably in a couple of years, it will be a totally other movement that's happening. So I feel like, you know, indigenous artists, we have such a bigger role to our community. Like not only are we selling art, but we're also selling culture, you know? So I think we have a responsibility to our tribes, to our communities to, you know, really do a good job in um, the way we share things, do, do everything in a good way, making sure we're respectable to everybody because it's so much more than just the art you know, we're, we're sharing history, we're sharing culture. And I think in the art world, people are like trying to buy that. So that's also uh, an avenue or like a thing that I'm trying to balance too within my work. Um, within your own community, how is this work landing? Um, how do you continue to center the community? So I actually just recently went back to Oklahoma and opened up my own studio, but I think this work would be, um, you know, my work and what I'm saying is hitting well. I have uh, my community definitely supports me. Otherwise, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. Mm. I think there's other artists out there that would push forward, but I don't operate like that. I make sure that I do everything in the right way. You know, I share what needs to be shared and I'm very sensitive to there's things that shouldn't be shared. So I think there's a way to go about it and I wouldn't be where I was if I wasn't supported. Yeah, that's beautiful. If people want to see more of your work, do you have anything upcoming? Is there a website they could go to? What's the best way to keep track of you? Best way is website, um, ravenhalfmoon.com. And then on there, I post everything coming up on my Instagram as well. But ravenhalfmoon.com has my recent exhibitions and things coming up. It also has my Instagram right there on the page. And my Instagram is also just ravenhalfmoon. And so I post everything on there. I have a show coming up that I'm working towards next May. That's actually going to be in New York. So um, oh, I'm pretty excited. Yeah. The other question that we always ask as a community media outlet is, what do you need? Um, this will be read by a community of artists, of New Yorkers who love art, by all sorts of folks. So I'm just wondering, what do you need most right now? I think most is the space and to be supported. And I think there's definitely institutions and museums doing a good job of that. I think there's definitely others that aren't. But I think, um, you know, giving us the space to share, but also at the same time, not like 
extracting, right? So, you know, letting us breathe and make the work and share the work and then not, um, <laughs> not having so much taken out of us. I feel like, you know, when institutions or museums can, you can be invited to these things. Sometimes it can be also like an extraction. You're, you're in spaces that, you know, it's a lot of whiteness and white communities, which is okay because I feel like part of my job is to educate. Not only am I an artist, but I'm also a history teacher as well. And that's part of, um, for me, that's part of the job. That's my responsibility. And so I think just, yeah, just letting us make the work and not doing as much of <laughs> maybe the extraction or like, you know, so many like talks or yeah, that's all I can think about. No, I know. I know. It's like, it's interesting that you say talks because it does feel like, and now we need and you insert whatever. And it's like, yeah. your problem just became a much bigger problem for me. Right. And so, right. Right. Yeah. Which is, and you know, I go back and forth on that. I think just for me personally, that's what is needed at the moment because, you know, it's really hard to make all this work, like not even physically, but like emotionally, mentally, like the things we put ourselves through to like make all of it. And then after you do the big push and then, get all this work done, you install it. And that's a whole other, for me, at least like four days. And then on top of that, and then you have to do, there's like multiple, like there's openings, there's questions, there's sometimes like questions that are a little bit ignorant, which is okay. And then, you know, and then there's talks and then there's more interviews. And so, you know, I think these things can they can just be a lot, but everyone I work with has done, I don't want to say, has done a really good job with all of that. Like it's been breathing room. It's been space. It's been okay. Now that we got the show up, let's get, let's have some time and then we'll do a talk later on, you know, definitely like museums and everyone I've worked with have done a really great job of that. I guess I can just see in other places, like, you know, other artists in the community that can kind of get taken advantage of and can feel like a turnoff. But luckily, I've worked with all great people. So it's been wonderful. I can just I can just see that trend happening. For details about Half Moon's current exhibition at the Aldridge Contemporary Art Museum, click the link in our show notes. And if you're able to visit, don't miss out on the video where Half Moon discusses the generations that propel our art. You can also learn more about Half Moon's work at ravenhalfmoon.com. That's all for today. Thanks for listening. And thanks for supporting us as we do our best to support our community. We couldn't do it without you. For more stories like this, make sure to subscribe to our newsletter at epicenter-nyc.com. Our intro music is All the Pretty Horses by Caravica. You can find more of their music on their website linked to in our podcast description.